Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Our sermon text for this morning is Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. And before we read that, uh, I would ask that you please pray with me. Our Father, I pray that you would come and be with us right now, that you would uh, use me in all of my weakness and brokenness to communicate your truth, uh, your grace to your people. Pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit, that you would enable us to receive your truth as it is in Jesus, that we would trust more fully in his love and grace in the cross, that we would rest in his work, his righteousness, that we would then go out into the world uh, living in light of your grace, resting in your mercy and serving you with our whole hearts. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How do you try to prove yourself? You you may remember the movie a few decades ago, I guess, uh, the movie Chariots of Fire where uh, an Olympic runner in that movie said when he runs, he has 10 lonely seconds to justify his whole existence. 10 seconds to prove himself. No pressure. (laughs) Or uh, David Letterman uh, once said, uh, David Letterman, the the former uh, late-night TV talk show host, he said, every night you're trying to prove your self-worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. He was trying to prove himself to to his fans, to himself. 
Or maybe you've, you've heard of the interview uh, with Madonna where she says, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Now, I know, uh, when quoting Olympic runners and late-night TV show hosts and uh, famous music superstars, it sounds kind of grandiose, but, but to prove yourself through work or effort or sweat Right? To reinvent yourself, your image on Facebook, uh, to feel good about yourself by making people laugh or a job well done. We all try to prove ourselves in these ways. Uh, work, image, humor. You know, I, I think I've mentioned before, uh, when I feel particularly bad about myself, I clean my study. I clean. It, it makes me feel good. Be, you know, because I can kind of sit back and think, ah, At least I've accomplished something. I've subdued this little corner of the earth. And we need that feeling. We need that feeling because we think about grace wrongly. We think, having been accepted by grace at the start, now I've got to prove myself. I've, I've got to prove that, that God made the right choice or uh, in, in letting me into his inner circle. Or I've got to prove that I'm really one of his children. I've got to somehow prove that I'm worth it. Grace has maybe gotten me in the door, but, but now it's all up to me. And one of the big questions in the book of Galatians is, do I need to keep the law of Moses in order to be right with God. You know, Paul, who wrote this letter, had, had preached a message to the Galatians and uh, that, that God's blessing is found in Christ and in Christ alone. But some people had come after Paul and, and preached a different message. They preached Christ plus the law of Moses. Now, that's not really a big question for us, right? Uh, do we need to keep the Mosaic Law in order to be right with God? Uh, most Christians don't sit around wondering if you need to avoid lobster and bacon in order to be right with the Father. But if we reword the question just a little bit, we realize that at its root is a question that we all ask. Do I need to perform like keeping the law of Moses, do I need to perform in order for God to love me? Do I need to become something I'm not, like a Gentile becoming a Jew, in order for God to accept me? And Paul's answer to the Galatians as they wrestle with this question is essentially threefold. One, he says that that's not the way your life began. That's not the way it worked for Abraham. 
Rather, God, prom- God promised blessing from the start to people as they are. And so, so Paul makes an argument here. He makes three arguments. He makes an argument from experience, from the Galatians' experience. He makes an argument from history, story of Abraham. And then he makes an argument from God's bigger plan, from God's promises. Now that's worded a little bit differently from the outline in your bulletin, which you'll find on the back of your bulletin. But it's the same basic three points. We're going to look at Paul's argument from uh, experience, Paul's argument from history, and Paul's argument from God's bigger plan. And as we go, I, I want you to think about the, the question, right? How, how am I, how are you trying to prove yourself? Where do you feel like you need to perform in order for God to love you? Well, do we need to prove ourselves? Do we need to perform? Paul says no. And his first argument is his argument from the Galatians' own experience. He's saying that's not the way you began your Christian life. Galatians 3 starts kind of with a bang. Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul doesn't pull any punches here, you notice, right? Someone has bewitched them, he says. Someone has confused you, led you astray. The gospel message had come to the Galatians so powerfully. Paul says it was as if they they saw Christ crucified with their own eyes. The Christian message, of course, is, is about a man named Jesus who was God in the flesh, who was crucified, who was put to death on a cross. He was judicially executed, ultimately, by God his Father. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because we have done wrong. And he was voluntarily put to death in our place. He took our place of judgment so that we would have his place of acceptance with the Father. And the Galatians had heard that and had believed it. But something had gone wrong. They had been bewitched, Paul says. They had been confused. They had been led astray. Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians and they believed it, right? From town to town throughout the region of Galatia. But other preachers had come after Paul, began adding to what Paul said. This group of people, which is often called the Judaizers, called the Judaizers because they said, on the one hand, yeah, Paul, Paul has it right on Jesus. Grace is good. But if you really want to grow, if you want to bring your faith to completion, if you really want to be a Christian, you need Jesus plus Moses. Grace plus the law. And so believe in Jesus, absolutely, Paul's opponent said. And then add to that the Mosaic law. Keep the Old Testament law. Gentiles, if you want to be saved by the Jewish Messiah, they taught, you must first become Jewish by taking on the Jewish law. You can hear the echo of our question, right? Do do I need to become something I'm not in order for God to accept me? Do I need to perform in order for God to love me? Do I need to prove myself in some way? Paul had preached Jesus Christ crucified. The the, the Judaizers preached Jesus plus Moses. Don't forget Moses, they said. And Paul says, you have been bewitched. You've been led astray. And to get them to see their confusion, he asks them a series of questions. Uh, There's actually five questions between verses 2 and 5. And and the first and last question are are really essentially the same. Uh, Verse 2, Paul says, let me ask only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You know, the, the coming of the Spirit uh, into a person's life is, is the coming of the, the person of God into our hearts. The coming of the Spirit is the coming of, of spiritual power into the life of the Christian. It's power to believe, power to trust in Christ, power to overcome sin, power to suffer well, power to bear witness to Jesus. And here Paul is asking the question, look, when you receive the Spirit... Was it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did God's power to transform you come into your life? He's asking a question about their conversion. He's saying, look, when you first came to know Jesus, when you were first filled with God's Spirit, did that come about because you kept the Mosaic Law? Or did it come about because you heard a message and believed it? Paul repeats that question and expands on it a little in verse 5, but the implied answer both times is that God had worked in the Galatians, not because they kept the Jewish law. They were Gentiles after all. God had worked in the Galatians because they heard the message of Jesus and believed it. See, God saves, God blesses, God pours out His Spirit upon us not because we keep the Mosaic law or any other law for that matter, but because we hear the message of Jesus and believe. And the, the central question among these five is really the hinge of Paul's argument in the first five verses here. Knowing that answer to the first and last question, right, that they receive the Spirit by hearing and believing, Paul asks this question in verse 3. He says... Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, if that's the way you began the Christian life, by believing and receiving the Spirit, are you now changing course, seeking to finish your Christian life by your own efforts? If God's transforming power and grace initially came into your life through the Spirit by faith, why are you now turning to what you can accomplish in your own strength? Paul is saying you started out trusting, receiving God's blessings by faith. Why are you changing horses midstream? Having begun the race by faith, why now seek to complete the race in your own strength? The phrase the flesh here means self-effort. It means you're trying to perfect yourself. You're trying now to prove yourself by what you can do in your own strength. The, the flesh here is, is, is kind of whatever gumption you can muscle up. Of course, it, it's parallel uh, within this uh, text to verses, in verses 2 and 5 to the works of the law. And so being perfected by the flesh here is whatever obedience to the Mosaic law you can muscle up to try to prove yourself. And Paul's argument is this, look, God didn't accept you from the start because you were perfect or because you kept the law of Moses or because you did anything right. God accepted you because of Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Jesus kept the law. He did everything right. You trusted in him. You believed in the gospel. God accepted you for Jesus' sake. Why is it then that having been accepted by grace at the start, you now feel like you have to prove yourself? For the Galatians, that temptation was to keep the Mosaic law, to prove that they were really God's people, 
For us, it probably means proving ourselves in different ways. Paul is saying, look, you're not being consistent. You're not being consistent with the gospel that you believed at first. God's blessing is found in Christ, not in the Mosaic Law, not in any other performance. It's like that when you began, began, it it will be like that when you finish. The Christian life is grace from beginning to end. And and, and maybe uh, you're sitting there and you are a Christian and you know God's blessing, you know that it's found in Jesus. You've heard the gospel message, you've believed it. But it's so easy to fall back into performance, into wanting to prove yourself, into feeling like you've got to show show the world, right, in some way that you're worth it. And the question for you then is, okay, how do you do that? How do you try to prove yourself? You try to do it through achieving at school or at work, proving it with your grades, proving it with your income, maybe through financial security or a big house or a nice car. Maybe through having the right theology. We can even distort that, right? We can use that as a way to prove ourselves. Look at all that I know. Maybe through going to the right church. Maybe through deeds of kindness or or, or religious activity. Through being active in social justice. Through being a good little boy or girl and following all the rules. Or through being perfect. Or at least trying to be perfect. Striving for perfection. See, we try to prove ourselves... Through, through boasting in, in whatever might be worth boasting in. Something in this world. Something that we can do. Something that our flesh can accomplish. And if all else fails, right, we have other ways out. We can hide our failure. We can justify our poor behavior. We can make excuses for our sin. We can blame society or our biology or our parents. We can say, oh, it was just words. Or it was a long time ago. See, we think, having been accepted by grace at the start, now I've got to, I've got to prove myself. Grace has gotten me in the door. I, I know that, but, but now it's up to me. Oh, maybe you're not a Christian yet, and, and maybe you're wondering whether God could ever accept you. Maybe you know that, that you're not what you should be. You look in the mirror, and, and you're full of guilt or shame or regret. Maybe you also realize that if you first have to prove yourself to God before He will accept you, if you first have to clean yourself up, if you first have to get rid of all your bad habits and start doing good things and and then come to Jesus, you're never going to come. It's not going to happen. Sometimes people feel like that. They they think, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian yet. Uh, my, My uncle once said to me, I'm not good enough for church. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever felt that? See, if we're honest with ourselves, though, none of us are are good enough for church, right? It has to start by grace, if it's going to start at all. And if it starts by grace, it only makes sense to continue in the same way, right? The Christian life is about grace from beginning to end. Maybe you want more than that, though. Maybe you want more than it, it only makes sense. You know, Paul is arguing from the Galatians' experience here in the beginning saying this is the way you first experienced God's grace. It only makes sense for it to continue in the same way. Why are you, why are you changing course midstream? But Paul, Paul goes on to argue not just from the Galatians' own experience, but to make an argument from history. See, Paul, in, in verse 6, he, he basically says, look, take Abraham, for example. 
God didn't accept Abraham because he was perfect, but because he believed. Uh, the Judaizers were telling the Galatians that they had to keep the Mosaic law, and, and they probably appealed to Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. And Abraham, at one point in his life, was circumcised. Circumcision for later Judaism was a sign that you were taking on the law. Circumcision meant you were becoming a Jew. And Abraham was circumcised, and so the Judaizers' argument probably went something like this. Look, all of God's promises begin with Abraham. If you want to receive God's promises to Abraham... If you want to be received, if you want to receive the Abrahamic blessings, well, you need to be circumcised too. It's really simple. Abraham was circumcised. He received God's blessings. If you want those blessings, you need to be circumcised as well. Well, Paul very quickly uh, puts this argument to rest by quoting Genesis 15:6 and Galatians 3:6. He says, Abraham, quoting Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Was Abraham accepted because he kept the Mosaic Law? No. In fact, the Mosaic Law wasn't even around yet for another oh, 430 years. Was Abraham accepted because he was circumcised? Well, uh, no. Uh, Abraham wasn't circumcised in Genesis 15. He wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17, which was at least 14 years later. Why was Abraham accepted then? Why was he justified? Why was he declared righteous by God? Abraham was accepted because he believed God. And God counted that to him as righteousness. Now, now it wasn't that Abraham's faith was righteousness, right? His faith didn't earn him brownie points with God. He didn't boast in the fact that he believed Faith is not a work that Abraham did, and God was kind of obligated, okay, fine, you believe, so I have to call you righteous. Um, Abraham was still sinful, but on account of his faith, God counted Abraham as righteous. We know now, right, on this side of the cross, from the rest of the teaching of the New Testament, that, that God was counting the righteousness of Jesus to Abraham as if it was his. God was crediting it to Abraham's account. That's, that's what the word counted here means. It means credit, you know, like, uh, like, like to credit money to your account. Uh, you know, you, you buy season seven of your favorite TV show, whatever it is, only to get home and realize, oh no, I already have season seven. So you, you go back to Walmart and you return it and you get a credit on your account. That, that, that's what's going on, that's, that's, that's this. God credits the righteousness of Jesus to our account by faith. And Abraham's example here is important for us because you know, when we feel like oh, I've, we've gotta be perfect for God to love us or when we feel like we must prove ourselves to God, well, was Abraham perfect? Not only was Abraham not perfect, uh, it's actually his faith was not perfect. I mean, read the story of Abraham in Genesis. He, he lied to the Egyptians he lied later to the Canaanites about Sarah. Uh, he lied to them. Why? Because he was afraid. Because he, he didn't trust God to protect him. He didn't trust God. Did Abraham make mistakes? Yeah. And not only did he make mistakes, he often, made, he, often his mistakes were a lack of faith. So, so, you know, Hagar comes to mind. Not trusting God to provide the child that he had promised and taking matters into his own hands. See, Abraham is an example of acceptance by faith, not perfection. 
And when we inspect his faith, we see even that Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. And yet Paul, uh, in, in Romans chapter 4, has this interesting statement. Paul says, Abraham did not waver in faith. That's one of the most amazing comments in Scripture to me. Abraham didn't waver in faith? Really, Paul? Have you read the book of Genesis? Right? How, how can Paul say that? I think Paul can say that because that's the way God saw Abraham. And what's great about that is that that's the way God sees us who believe as well. You know, our faith may rise and fall, but God's not looking at the strength of your faith. God's not looking at the consistency of your faith. God's not looking at the purity of your faith. God's simply looking at the fact of your faith, right? You believe. You're, you're not trusting in anything else. You're not even trusting in your faith. You're trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in God who justifies the sinful. Sinful. You're not trusting in your faith, its strength, its consistency, its purity, whatever. See, not only uh, you're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus credited to your account. Yes, you stumble. Yes, you you doubt, you you disobey, you lack trust. You're you're in good company, like like Abraham-type company. But you believe. And if you believe, you are a child of Abraham, Paul says. Uh, Look at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Why is that important? Because it's the children of Abraham who receive the promises. You know, the argument of the Judaizers was, if you want to receive God's promises, you must become a child of Abraham. And if you want to become a child of Abraham, you, you must be circumcised. It made perfect sense, actually, except they missed what it really meant to be a child of Abraham. Paul says to be a child of Abraham is is not to be like him physically, but to be like him spiritually. It is those of faith who are Abraham's true children. And so Paul makes this argument first from experience. He says, if you've come to faith in Jesus, God has accepted you, not because you got your stuff together, but because you trusted in the work of Jesus. The Christian life begins by the power of the Spirit working by faith, not by human effort. If you began by the Spirit in this way, don't try to perfect yourself by what you can accomplish in your own strength. And then he makes this argument from history. He says this whole grace thing, right, it's it's actually not something new. God justified Abraham because he believed. God declared Abraham righteous. God accepted Abraham on account of his faith. And if you believe, you too are a child of Abraham. And that brings us to our last point, Paul's final argument, his argument from this bigger picture. You know, the Judaizers might have charged Paul with distorting the facts a little bit. Uh, Okay, sure, God justified Abraham by faith, they might have said, but that's not meant to extend to Gentiles, Paul. That's just for Jews. So Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9 and says this, In the Scripture... Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is saying this. He's saying, this is the way God planned it from the beginning. God's initial promise to Abraham was to bless the nations in him. 
to bless not just uh, the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. From the start, God promised to bless people as they are. God promised to bless the Jew as a Jew. He promised to bless the Gentile as a Gentile. Paul is saying to the Galatians and he's saying to us, uh, you are a part of God's promises to Abraham. You don't have to become something you're not in order for God to accept you. God's promises uh, uh, to bless, God promised to bless the nations as the nations in Abraham. You see, Paul not only gives Abraham as an example, but he, but he brings us up into the Abraham story. You, Gentiles, you're right there in God's promises. There's a larger story that we're a part of, Jew and Gentile alike. We all find our blessing in Abraham. God's promises to Abraham come to us by faith, just as they did to Abraham at the start. Now, you may be scratching your head and thinking, okay, looking around, I thought this was a church. Uh, I, I thought you were supposed to talk about Jesus, not Abraham. Uh, well, okay, fair enough. Let, let's peek ahead then a little bit. Uh, look, look ahead at Galatians 3.16. Galatians 3.16 says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. See, God promised to bless the nations through Abraham and his offspring. And God has done just that through Jesus. God is blessing the nations through Jesus in fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. Jesus blesses the nations by being crucified for us, as verse 1 said. And as Paul says in verse 13 of Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Christ took the curse for our sin so that we might find blessing in him, the blessing of Abraham. And those blessings are received by faith, right? Because God's acceptance is by faith, because God declares us righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Now, maybe that's all new to you. I don't know. Maybe you've never heard that before and you've been living life trying to prove yourself with God, trying to perfect yourself, prove yourself, trying to justify your existence by doing. And uh, maybe you know, though, maybe you know that we are accepted by faith. Maybe you already know that. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus. But though you began by the Spirit, you're now trying to finish up by your own effort. Uh, maybe you think, I, I know I'm accepted by grace at the start, but I, I still have this feeling that I have to prove myself. You know, may, maybe in the language of Madonna, this, this feeling of inadequacy, this fear of being mediocre, and you just feel like I've got to prove that I'm somebody. Maybe you think, I know I was accepted by grace at the start, but still I have this nagging feeling well, God's promise comes through faith, right? through faith. God's promises to Abraham are received by faith. Before Abraham was circumcised, before the Mosaic law, God accepted Abraham by faith and not by works of the law. And, and so the question then is, what do you, what do, you do, right? Uh, what, what do you do about this drive to prove yourself, about this nagging suspicion that, that I'm not enough, that I've got to live up in some way, that I've got to prove myself, I've got to be perfect, what do you do 
when you see that drive rising up inside of you and you start to get afraid or critical or anxious? What do you do when you're afraid of looking bad, when you're afraid of failure, when you're afraid of imperfection, when you begin to get critical of others because they're getting in your way, they're messing up your perfectly ordered world? What do you do when you're tempted to use others for your own perfectionistic project? When you feel this need to prove yourself and to be perfect, or as the Olympic runner put it, right, to justify your whole existence in the next 10 seconds. Or as David Letterman put it, right, to prove your self-worth. What do you do? Because we really, we, we all find ourselves there. You know, I find myself there every week when I'm writing sermons. I, uh, there, there's a moment, actually there are many moments, where I have to decide whether I'm going to write this sermon in order to prove myself or whether I'm going to write this sermon to honor God and bless His church. And it's a struggle. Why am I doing this? And deep in my heart, there's this desire right, to prove myself. What do you do when you see that? I think the first thing you need to do is just be honest. You know, be honest about it, right? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with, with other people. Be honest before God. And, and we can be honest, right? Because our righteousness is not in uh, always acting like or always knowing that our righteousness is in Jesus. That's not where our righteousness is. Our righteousness is in Jesus. And so we need to call it like it is. We need to notice, look, I'm not resting in grace right now. We need to confess our self-reliance. Confess that I'm trusting in human effort. I'm trusting in what I can do to try to prove myself to the people around me. I'm not trusting in the cross of Jesus. We can be honest. We can admit where we are. And then we can remember. Remember the work of Christ for you. Remember that he died for your sin. That he was crucified for our failure. That he rose for our acceptance by faith in him. Remember that God now accepts you. Not because of anything you do, but only because of Jesus. And you can rejoice in that. Right? Rejoice that you are accepted by the Father through His Son, Jesus. No matter how many times a day you screw it up. No matter how many times a day you get things wrong. Right? No matter how many times a day you fail. The Father loves you. He's proven that in the cross. Do I need to keep the Mosaic Law in order to be right with God? Do I need to perform in order for God to love me? Do I need to become something I'm not in order for God to accept me? No. And that's not the way the Christian life starts. That's not the way it works for Abraham. Rather, God's promised blessing to his people is to his people as they are. Now, that doesn't mean God is not going to change us. By grace, he will. Praise God. He doesn't leave us where we are. That doesn't mean God doesn't, isn't going to call us to live differently. He does. The scriptures do. But those things are consequences of God's acceptance, not preconditions. The blessing of Abraham is found in Christ. The acceptance of the Father is found in Christ. The love of God is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that, that we right now, each of us, would would realize the different ways that we try to prove ourselves, that we, try to, uh, that we try to be perfect in order to gain your acceptance, 
or to gain the acceptance of the people around us. Father, help us to repent of that, to own up to it, to call it what it is, that it's, 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 it's rebellion, it's not trusting in your grace. And help us, Father, to turn to you, to turn to Jesus, and in him to find your acceptance and your love and your mercy, to rest in that, to rejoice in that with our whole hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.